see God answer prayer. You know, God cares about the things going on in our life, even the things that we may think are insignificant to Him to talk to Him about. He cares, and He invites us to pray. He wants us to pray, and we, when we do, we get the joy of seeing Him answer, and He gets the glory and the praise from answering those prayers. And so, here at City Church, we want to be a people of prayer. Prayer matters a lot to us, and I, it's my desire for us to step up prayer, especially as we're approaching our big outreach, August 20th, and we're going to be engaging this neighborhood and community more. If we're going to make the impact that we desire to make, that God wants us to make in this community, it's going to require us praying, praying for a move of God, praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Pastor Mike in chapter 4 of Colossians is going to hit on that here in just a couple weeks. There's a section that talks about devote yourselves to prayer. I love the book of Colossians. And one of the reasons we chose the book of Colossians as a church to start off with in these early stages of our church is because of the, the, the centrality of Christ. Christ being central. Christ being the main thing. That Him being the one that we're to fix our eyes upon. Uh, last week we talked about the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, the week before that we talked about us being third, Christ being first, others being second, and us being third. Before that we talked about the supremacy of Christ, Christ ruling and reigning over all and Him sustaining everything. He sustains you and me and our seats there. And me standing here. He gives us life. He sustains us. He redeems us. He saves us. Pastor Mike started us off with uh, Jesus plus nothing and, and, and having a, uh, living a life pleasing to God, Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And tonight, we're going to look at Christ-centered living from Colossians chapter 3. Christ-centered living. Next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll look at uh, Christ-centered relationships as, as we finish up chapter 3. But this week, we're going to look at Christ-centered living. Paul, in this section, in verses 1 through 4, he makes a... A transition. He, he goes from chapter 2 where he's addressing false teaching and potential dangers if the church takes the bait and believes and, and goes the way of these false teachers, potential danger for them. And so Paul reminds the Colossians that Jesus is to be central, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is Lord and we are complete in Him. He's all we need. And in Him, as Peter says, we have life, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Or Paul says in Ephesians that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in him. And so we don't have to try to add anything to our status with, before God and Christ because Christ is enough. What he's done enough is enough and who he's made us in him is enough. I mentioned last week that there's not uh, like a, a platinum and gold membership in the family of God as, as members of the household of God, that all of God's people get full benefits and privileges as sons and daughters of God. We're complete in Christ. And so tonight we're going to talk about Christ-centered living. So Paul starts us off. Um, actually, I'm going to pray and we're going to dig in here. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would help me to faithfully proclaim and teach and and point to Jesus through Your Word tonight. And I pray that faith would arise, that hope would arise, and that Christ 
would be our joy and our treasure, that we would set our minds on Him, that we would be so influenced by the Word of Christ and by the, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Amen? Alright, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its creator. Here there is not Greek, nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then, as God's chosen chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Amen? So here's the big idea. Here's where we're going from this text. That since we have new identity in Christ, we must also have a new mentality and morality. We are to live in accordance with who Christ has made us and, and, what, and according to what He has taught us. This involves making war on sin and actively seeking to be like Christ in our character and conduct. So that's where we're going. Verse 1, Paul says, this, these, 1 through 4 is a transition. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, where Christ is seated. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Paul does this over and over. He starts with affirming who the church is, and then he says, live like it. We talked about this. Jesus did this in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world, so let your light shine before men. That's who you are. Now live like it. And so the theological indicatives are the basis for the theological imperatives here. Okay, so what that means is because of what Christ has done and who He's made us, the Gospel, He broke in, He came into history, came into the history of our lives, transferred us from the domain of darkness into His kingdom. He's made us new. We're forgiven all our sins. He's given us a new identity, new status before God in Christ. We have that. Therefore, We're to live lives that are different. Our lives are to reflect who we really are. You are, if you're a saint, if you're a child of God, you are to live different, right? 
I want us to get this here because Paul is first giving one one reason uh, that, that he gives that we should live godly lives is that we've been raised with Christ. We died. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. If you want this idea unpacked even more, look over at Romans chapter 6 where Paul is explaining our union with Christ and our identification with Christ in baptism. We've been baptized and so we're to consider ourselves dead, dead to sin and alive to God. Paul in Galatians picks up on this idea again when he's talking, addressing legalism. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And Paul's already said this in chapter 2, I believe verse uh, 20, that you died. You died to the, in, to the elementary principles of this world. So, so don't get caught up in do not touch, do not taste legalistic stuff. Okay? So, and I, I mentioned last week, does that leave room for sanctification? Are there any moral obligations for us as Christians? Or do we just, just do whatever we want morally, since we're under grace now, and since we're children of God now? As Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, God forbid, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And so we're made new. We're to act like children of God. Because God's our daddy. God is holy. He says, I'm holy, therefore be holy as I am holy. He is love, so he commands us to love, to reflect him. Look at verse 12 there. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and so on, forgiving and forbearing with one another. So again, Paul starts here with, this is who you are. God's made you holy. You are loved by God. You are chosen by God. God took initiative and He chose you as before the foundation of the world, Ephesians tells us. He chose you. He set His love and affection on you. He called you out. And so there's a domino effect that should happen because of that. There's a ripple effect that should happen. And that's a wave of love flowing to and through your life. God loves you and chose you. He's for you. You belong to Him. So then you clothe yourselves with that same love and compassion. So this is foundational. This is so foundational for us as Christians. And if we don't get this, the indicative here of what Christ has done and who He's made us, our identity in Christ, our union with Christ, and we go straight to the moral obligations in Scripture, we're in danger of of falling into legalism or just doing what other religions do. Just trying to be a good person. I mean, over and over, I've, I've encountered folks on the street who that's what they think Christianity is about, religion is about. It's just just trying to be a good person, a moral person. I was at yesterday <clears throat> at the Town East Mall, and I was speaking with a Hindu who worked at, at the kiosk, and I was taking him through the Evangel Cube and shared the gospel with him. And, and so I asked him, so if you were to die and stand before God, where would you go? And, you know, of course, Hindus believe in um, reincarnation. But so I asked him, so what do you think it takes for a person to get to heaven? You know, so I just tried to reason with him. If there is a heaven and hell, where does, what does it take? And he said, well, it's just the same as Christianity. You just, same as a Christian, you know, you just be a good person. And I've heard that over and over from people on the streets. It's so common. 
that you just got to be a good person, just follow the moral obligations, the imperatives of Scripture, and you're, you're good, right? That's, it, it's, ama- it's baffling to me how many people think, just they, they summarize Christianity as that, as mere moralism. Now, Christianity teaches us to live moralistic, godly, holy lives, right? But it's more than that. If you don't have the foundation of what Christ has done, the gospel, then you just, you're just going to be a moralistic person. There's probably many Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims that are more disciplined than you and I. More religious than you and I. More devoted than you and I. And if, if we're not saved by sheer grace, then, then that would be very discouraging to look at. A, a very moralistic Hindu, maybe a Hindu who outdoes us in devotion in some way to their gods, in their devotion, in their zeal for their religion. But we're, our hope is in Christ, in the grace of God. And if, if it wasn't by grace that we're saved, then we would be hopeless. It's my desire, as, as I lead as a pastor of City Church Garland, that we have this foundation. That we work diligently as unto the Lord, and we live godly, holy lives. But we do that all from that place of being accepted and loved by God, being in Christ, knowing who we are in Christ, and not in any way trying to earn greater status with God by the things that we do. Because we have the greatest status we can ever have in Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You died with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's enough to motivate us to live godly lives. And that's foundational. I want us to get that. Because the, the next part of this chapter... It, it's not gonna. It's not gonna help us a whole lot if we don't get this first part. Paul's been arguing this the whole time. He's he's been putting the spotlight on Jesus the whole time. He's supreme. He's sufficient. He's enough. What he's done for you is enough. He's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness, from the domain of darkness, into his kingdom. So the next thing is that our new identity in Christ is to be accompanied by a new mentality. Verse two says to set your mind. On the things above, not on the things that are of the earth. Set your mind on the things above. The enemy attacks our minds. False teaching and teachers attack our minds with the things that they teach that are not true. They deceive. And we must set our mind on the things above. Things that are true, that are right, that are good, that are pure, that are lovely. On the kingdom of God. We must set our mind on things above. You know, it's been said that, I've heard it said before, don't, don't be too heavenly minded lest you be any earthly good. You guys heard that before? How many of y'all heard that before? I, I, I get the heart of what people are saying, but I don't think Christians have a problem with being too heavenly minded. Right? I don't think that's a problem. I, I don't know too many people that are just too heavenly minded. Now, maybe too religious. Okay, maybe too religious, and, 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 but not too heavenly minded. Not, you know, if the more we set our mind on the things above, I think the more useful and effective and the more wise we're going to invest our time here on this earth. We need to set our mind on things above. You know, neuroscientists say that we think between 
30,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. We're just, we're bombarded in this day with information, advertisement, text, somebody texted me, text messages, uh, emails, social media, driving, just driving down the road. Uh, if you got kids, you're bombarded with more thoughts each day. You know, every little thing that they say and do, you know, there's so much just going on in our minds. And we're so distracted. I think ability to pay attention for longer periods of time has seemed to diminish. I know especially with children and, and perhaps video games and media and stuff is, uh, plays into that. But we have a hard time staying focused. And the scripture here tells us what we need to do. We need to set our mind on things above. Because the more we think about something, what we do is we create a rut with which way our life is going to go with that path of thinking. The more you think about something, you're creating this pathway that you're just going to naturally go towards. Think about something, you, there's a, a tendency, a, a direction you're going to go. And that's why we need to think about the things above. We need to take every thought captive. You know, this was one thing that Jesus rebuked Peter for. Y'all remember in the Gospel of Matthew when, when um, Jesus said, told his disciples he's going to the cross? And Peter's like, no, no, don't do it. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. I mean, one of the, the things that Jesus rebuked Peter for was being earthly minded, being, um, and that was right after Peter had said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He just said something really good and then he said something really bad. Can anybody relate to that? So our identity in Christ should be accompanied with this new mentality. Now, this is a process, okay? Like, you don't just, like, when you become a Christian, your, 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 your mind is not, like, completely renewed. Amen? Now, there is a change of mind that happens when you become a Christian, okay? The word repent means to change your mind. Metanoia means to change your mind. So when you become a Christian, you repent of your sins, you change your mind about some things, about God and what He says, about your sin, about Jesus and what He's done for you. And you put your faith in Jesus. You, you put confidence and faith and trust that Jesus will save you from your sins. You change your mind. But the repentance doesn't stop there at conversion. Sometimes we think that, you know, repentance is just a one-time thing. I did that. I repented of all the big stuff way back there when I became a Christian. But repentance, changing your mind and renewing your mind is an ongoing process. As Christians, we're, we've been made saints. And our sins are forgiven, right? But yet we're still sinners. Would anybody venture out to say that you're not a sinner? Here tonight, I know we got lots of saints here, but anybody, would you be willing to say, I'm not a sinner? Okay, because we can ask you a few questions and find out if you really are a sinner. I love doing that when, when somebody says, I'm a good person. Okay, let me just ask you a few questions about how good you are. Taking them through the Ten Commandments. You see, even Paul, as a Christian, says he called himself the chief of sinners. So we still sin, and so we're in this process called sanctification, it's what theologians call it. Paul uses that language. And in chapter 3, this involves sanctification. This involves walking out your salvation, working out your salvation with, with fear and trembling, living it out. 
You've been made new. You're a new creation. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're part of the kingdom of God. Your life belongs to Jesus. Now live like it. Live like it. Don't get those backwards. Okay? Don't like try to live like it so you can be a child of God. You are a child of God. Now live like it. Verse 10 says that having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is, is tying in this idea of us being renewed and changed all around Jesus, being, us being conformed into the image of Christ. He's the creator of all things, as we looked at in chapter 1. We're being conformed into His image. We're being shaped and molded into His image. And God is committed to making me and you like His Son, Jesus. Is that good news or what? So set your mind on things above. This, have this new mentality as a Christian because you have a new identity as a Christian. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is a correlating passage here. Paul says in Romans 8, 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. We set our mind on the things of, on the, things of the Spirit, on things above, because the Holy Spirit influences us. And as we follow the leading of His Spirit, we follow, keep in step with Him, the result is life and peace. As we get out of step with the Holy Spirit, the result is death and the works of the flesh, right? Galatians chapter 5. And we want life and peace. We want abundant life. We want the life of Christ to, be, to fill us, to be manifested through us, for people to see Jesus in our actions, in the way that we live. So in verse 5, Paul tells us to put to death the Therefore, what is earthly in you? So, so that therefore is based on what he's already said in 1 through 4. Okay? You, you've been raised with Christ. You died with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with Him in glory. By the way, a little side note. There's something that theologians call the already, not yet. And you see that a lot in Paul's writings. So, what's already happened? Okay, you died with Christ. Christ has died in our place. We belong to Him. And then this not yet, He's coming back. He's coming back in glory. We're going to see Him and we're going to be changed and we're going to have new bodies, resurrected bodies, no disease, no decay, glorious bodies for all eternity. And so we Christians live in that tension of the already, not yet. And sometimes if we overemphasize the already, you know, we can kind of get off because there's still some not yet that we're expecting and praying for and to be seeking and asking God, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're still longing for that. We pray for that. And vice versa, you know, if we minimize what he's already done, we can also get off. 
Because we stand in his victory. As we looked at last week in chapter 2, he has disarmed the principalities and the powers. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus has disarmed the principalities and the powers? That he overcame the enemy for us? Okay, yes, we believe that, but yet there's still this struggle against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so we are living in that tension and we fight, we pray. We set our mind on things above. We battle. We do spiritual warfare because we're in a battle. But we stand in the victory and we fight from the victory that we have in Christ. Amen? Amen? I'm excited about that. I don't know about y'all. I know Verna's excited with me. Let's set our mind on things above. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. By the way, that is one thing that helps us set our mind on things above. Singing, music. In in verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, singing, admonishing one another in all wisdom with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There is so much power and influence in music and singing. And so in our corporate worship, these truths that we just got done singing tonight, raise with Christ, raise with Christ, Raised to life with Christ our Savior in His name, a new creation. Now our soul will rise, adoring Christ the King or Lord. And so music, singing helps us set our mind on things above. I mean, just think about the power and influence of music. How... If you're listening to the wrong kind of music, just how it can just kind of wear on you and feed and and kind of influence you. And somebody says that um, music or arts has a way of unlocking the key, uh, unlocking your heart without you giving it permission. The arts do or music. There's there's truth in that, you know. And and so over and over in Scripture, the Bible tells us to, to sing, to worship. And me personally, this has helped me. So... Biblical meditation, okay, meditating on the Scripture has helped me set my mind on things above. Reading the Bible, letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. Corporate singing, corporate and personal singing and just, just thinking about Jesus instead of my circumstances. And we can look at the psalmist, he does that. The psalmist expresses frustration and struggle with things of life and then he turns his attention on God. So worship and praise, it helps us do that. Having extended times of solitude and quietness. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we're so bombarded with information and thoughts and busyness and schedules and, 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 and appointments and, and all these things that just distract us from the main thing. And we need to get quiet before God to set our mind on things above because our, our minds get, they get so busy. You know, David said in Psalm 131, he said, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. So is my soul within me. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord. And so there's this, there's this calming of our souls and our minds and setting it on God. We need to get quiet before Him. Prayer. We need to just bring things to Him in prayer. So there's some practical things there that I wanted to mention before we move on to this next part as we talk about, uh, talk about sin here. Here's, here's everybody's favorite part, right? Anybody love to talk about sin? By the way, one thing I know is good for us in preaching through books of the Bible, because there are parts of the Bible that some of us don't have tendencies to go towards. Okay, like we would avoid them. We wouldn't read them as much like in our quiet time. I'm not going to, you know, just unless I'm struggling with something specifically here. But I mean, my tendency isn't to just go to put to death. Therefore, what is earthly among you? I mean, I want the Psalms, you know, like great is your faithfulness, O Lord. You know, that's what I naturally go towards. But this stuff is in the Bible for our good, for the nourishment of our souls, that we might live godly lives. Paul teaches us here to make war on sin. Our mentality as Christians leads us to a new morality. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly among you. Sexual immorality. So the Greek word there is pornonia for sexual immorality. Pornonia. Sound familiar? Pornonia. And it refers to all kind of sexual acts outside of marriage. Okay? Put that to death. It's not fitting for saints to engage in sexual immorality because you belong to Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't tolerate sin. Put it to death. Put to death impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And once you once walked and were living in them. So, a couple motivations here. God's going to judge sin and people who persist in their sin. It's not our favorite topic, but it's, it's true. It's in the Bible. We believe it. There's a, there's a sober warning for those who persist in immorality and just sin. You know, in this section, there's, there's some sins that are listed that we could call sensual. The gross sins, the sexual morality. Ooh, let's not talk about that. It kind of feels awkward to talk about that one. Um, and then there's the, the social sins, the, the ones that we tend to tolerate a little bit more uh, that Paul addresses later on here at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, just being irritated and just that, that kind of subtle brewing within you. Okay. Now, I think it's possible, according to Ephesians, to, to be angry and not sin. But he says to put to death anger, the, the wrath of man, and wrath, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, the scripture says. Put to death anger, wrath, malice, slander. Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. So put to death those sins, the central sins and the social sins. The ones that we tend to justify and minimize and, and, and just say, well, you know, that's just my, my family upbringing. That's just what my, that's 
part of my... I'm New Yorker, huh? I, they, they, just, they all get upset of New York, you know, or, or whatever. We, we use different ways to justify and minimize and, and explain things that we do that's, that's sin. And I think we need to have a seriousness about it. Actually, at the end of this time, I'd like to lead us in a time of confession. We need to confess our sins on a regular basis. If we sin on a somewhat regular basis, then we need to spend time confessing our sin on a regular basis. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray like this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. That should be a regular part of our prayer, right? Yet I think that these sins should not dominate our lives. These sins should not dominate the lives of Christians because the power of these sins have been broken We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you're under grace. Don't let sin reign in your body. Let Jesus reign as Lord in your life. So put them off. So Paul uses this language kind of like clothes. Okay, Put off those old rags. Okay, that, that Those old dirty clothes and put on the new. How many of y'all... You know it feels good when you get a new outfit, all right? And you got to you get to put on those new pair of shoes, or that new shirt, or those new jeans, or dress, or whatever. And you just you just feel better because you got a nice outfit that fits you and it looks good on you. It's not too tight, it's not too big, not too frumpy, ladies, right? It there's it just feels good and it and it should be pleasant for us to put on. Love and compassion and these things that we're called to that are fitting for us as Christians to wear. Love, compassion, humility, kindness, patience, and so those are fitting. Those outfits fit perfect for us on you and I because that's who we are. We're made for that, right? You know, sometimes my, my you know, I got two girls and a boy and um, there's been a few times where my son has kind of they've they've kind of swapped with with outfits and stuff and when when I see that I see Carson putting on some dress or whatever some girly stuff I'm like no son I know I know you don't mean any harm you're just playing here but I don't want him to dress up like a girl because it's not fitting for him to dress up like a girl he's a boy and we have enough confusion in our culture right now I want to make sure and keep him from that confusion and not enable that or feed to that and so it's not fitting for a guy to wear girls clothing or a girl to wear guys clothing and try to look like a guy when you're a girl or a girl when you're a guy because God created us and he's the one who should define us and he's the one who gives us our identity gives us our identity our gender identity and our identity as Christians as children of God so our, our new mentality as Christians leads us to new morality Romans chapter 6, I quoted this earlier, making war on sin. So just kind of following that, that thought a little deeper, Paul goes into further detail in the sanctification part in Romans 6 through 8. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been raised brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. 
And then you go down to Romans chapter 8, verse 13. I love this. One of the things that's awesome about Christianity is we're not left to our own resources. We're not left to our own willpower to just pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and will it in our own will to stop sinning. We have a resource, the greatest resource, God Himself, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us, empowering us, the Holy Spirit empowering us to live holy lives and to be who He's called us to be and to do what He's called us to do. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death the deeds of the body. The mortification of sin. Don't justify it. Cover it up. Explain it away. Put it to death. Put it to death. And I think that starts with us confessing it and bringing it to the light. 9 of chapter 3, it says, do not lie to one another. You know, that's our temptation as we start going down the path of darkness and sin and we let one sin after another in. That's our, that's our tendency is to kind of cover it up with a lie. And what's awesome about being in Christ, being a new creation, is we don't have to lie. We don't have to cover anything up because God loves us and forgives us and accepts us as broken as we are, as sinful as we are. We're more sinful and flawed than we ever dared to hope or ever dared to believe. And yet we're more loved and accepted by God than we ever hoped. When we know that, when we know that we don't have to lie, we don't have to cover up our sin because Christ covers it and cleanses it for us. What He's done is enough. We can practice 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, I call it the Christian bar of soap. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession is a good thing, y'all. Like, we shouldn't think, oh, confess. We shouldn't dread it. We should look forward to it when we're sinning because, because that's our path to experience the benefits of the blood of Jesus washing us so that our communion with Him isn't hindered and stifled. And so our communion and fellowship with one another isn't hindered and stifled. We walk in the light. We can be real and be honest because Christ is our righteousness. We're not more loved than accepted because we're doing well in righteousness and our practice of it. And we're not less loved and accepted when we're not practicing righteousness well. We're loved and accepted in Christ perfectly. And that love can cast out fear that leads us to lie and cover up and do what's shameful. Is this good news at all? It's, this is truth that has ministered to me. This has been my path of, when I've sinned, my path of uh, way of escape, way of getting out of the cycle of sin and shame and condemnation, insecurity, fear, anger, frustration, self-condemnation, and so on. It just repent. Confess, acknowledge, put to death the deeds of the flesh. So, and again, it starts in our mind too. You know, the battle's there. If, if we're going to get victory over sin, we've got to win the battle up here. You know, Jesus, Jesus, by the way, taught us to be this severe with sin. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven with one eye and one hand, would you agree, than go to hell with, you know, all, everything. 
right? So do whatever you got to do to deal with sin. Mortification of sin. Put it to death. Now, I'm not preaching like this because I'm like targeting some one particular person who's living in sin. I'm just preaching like this because we need to hear this. We need to be reminded that God takes sin seriously. So seriously that Jesus bled a, a, a terrible death on the cross for our sins. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. We have what we need to walk in this victory in Christ Jesus. Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, he kind of he hits on the more social sins, things that we tend to tolerate as Christians. Not so much the central sins like sexual immorality and so on, but, but social sins like, like um, slander or uh, racism or um, uh, just being rude and unkind and so on. Things that we can justify and think aren't as bad as, as a Christian. But one of the things he said about overcoming sin, he said that the only sin that we're going to be successful and get victory over is forgiven sin. If we're going to be successful in our fight against sin, the only sin we're going to be successful in overcoming is, our, is forgiven sin. And so Paul told the Colossians already that they've been forgiven. They've been forgiven of their sins. And so they don't have to wallow in it. They don't have to continue in it. They didn't have to, and neither do we. We've been forgiven. And if, if we are guilty and you say, well, yeah, I was forgiven when I became a Christian, but since then, this week, I sinned. I need to be forgiven. Well, 1 John 1, 9 it. Apply it, do it, confess. Confess, acknowledge, walk in the light. And so we're going to spend some time doing that here. And so first I want to ask three questions here. What do you think about when no one, when you don't have anything to do? So what comes to your mind in your thought life when you got free time you have nothing to do? Have the thoughts of your heart and the words of your mouth been pleasing to God? Have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved your neighbor as yourself? Do you take sin seriously like God does? Or do you minimize it and justify it and tolerate it? And the next thing I'd like for us to do is to, to read this confession. If you all would stand with me. This is a confession from the common book of prayer. It's a confession of sin. And then we're going to pray from the Psalms. There's two Psalms there. But I'd like for us to read this together just as a confession. And then if there's specific things before God that you need to confess and deal with before Him. I encourage you to do it as we sing this next song and we have a ministry time. So if you will, if you want to uh, quote this with me, confess this with me, this is confession of our sin. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent 
for the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in Your will and walk in Your ways to the glory of Your name. Amen. In Psalm 139, 23 and 24, read this with me. And pray this with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 19, 13 and 14. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the team is going to lead us in this song of surrender, of us surrendering our lives to God. And if you want prayer during this time, you can come up or you can raise your hand and another woman or man will come alongside you and pray with you. And if you just need to spend time alone with God, let's do that. Let's engage Him. Let's ask Him to search us and let Him speak to us in this time. Let's turn to Him. He's gracious and compassionate. It's His goodness and kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen?